Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you can soften our hearts uh, to accept what you say. Please would you show us that your word is good for us. Thank you for your love for us. We pray for the, uh, that if we're not reconciled to you, that you would re- reconcile us to you. And for those that have been reconciled, we pray that you would equip us to be those who would speak uh, in a way that would commend you to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I have a clicker? Great. Um, last week, if you were here, um, we saw that God's big plan is this. Through Christ, God's plan is to bring all things back to himself again. Things on earth and things in heaven. God made peace by using the blood of Christ's death on the cross. Today we're going to be looking at those uh, verses, just a couple of verses towards the end of this letter to Colossians. But these are the words at the start of the letter to the Colossians about God's big plan. So everything we've seen since then has been an outworking of this big plan. Having reconciled people to himself, the outflowing of that will be a change in their relationships to one another in the church, in the relationships to one another in the home. And now we're going to see in their relationships in the world. The effect that that reconciling work that God has already done in their hearts to bring them to him. The effect that that will have on Monday morning um, in the workplace uh, with, with your family who are unbelievers. And um, So that's what we're going to see in these two short verses uh, from Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to read them one more time. They're only short, so (laughs) we could probably read them many times, couldn't we? But um, uh, let's read them together, uh, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Uh, In another letter, Paul expresses this same thought about God using reconciled people to bring about his reconciliation. And and, uh, let me read it to you. If anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is what we're seeing in these verses. Because of God's reconciling work in the lives of ordinary people, in this occasion it's from Colossae, in today's occasion it's from Dagenham, Beckentry, Raynham, Anywhere else? Everywhere. Great. Um, But we're thinking just about here. Because of that, because of God's reconciling work in normal people's lives, 
they now get to be part of his reconciling work in the world. This amazingly big, huge, I mean, it can't get bigger than all things, can you? Whatever project you had on the back burner, a side hustle or whatever it was, that's nothing compared to this amazingly big plan of God's to reconcile all things to himself through the blood of Jesus. And we get to be part of that plan. So last week we saw about how in prayer we get to ask him to open doors for opportunity for the word to go out. Um, And this part we're thinking about how um, our speech and our time and our conduct amongst unbelievers can be used by God to bring people to him. And that's really exciting. I hope you're excited about that too. Um, So we look at the start of verse 5 and this could be uh, Paul's Kind of theme sentence, walk in wisdom with outsiders. And everything that he says after that is kind of hung off that one statement. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. This is for Christians, those who have come to know Christ themselves. You are to walk in wisdom towards outsiders. It reminds us that Paul hasn't moved on from what he has been praying for them. Because if right back in chapter uh, one, he said, walk, I pray that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That same word, walk. In chapter two, he said, uh, as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him, built up in him, rooted in him, established in him. So Paul's not moved on from that, but this is an outworking of it. They had to live with Jesus and his love for them right at the very centre of their lives. And it will mean that the way that they behave, live in the world is different, okay? With Christ at the centre of their lives and his love for them, rooted in his love for them. And it's going to change two things. So we're just going to look at two things. Time. I don't know why the top bit's disappeared. There you go, it's come back. Making the most of the time and uh, making the most of our tongues, what we say. So first of all, let's look at making the most of the time. That's what Paul says, isn't it, in verse 5? He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. What is this time? Obviously now, Paul's talking about now, isn't he? But what is the time? It's almost like it's got a a certain subject. God's time, yeah. And the time particularly between Jesus' ascension going up back into heaven, and his return. That's the times we're in. The other name in the Bible for it is the end times. Because it is the last thing that's going to happen before Jesus returns. And, and Paul says our understanding of the time we're in is to shape our conduct towards outsiders. I was thinking about this on the train the other day. I was thinking, this, is, this will give you an insight, and so sometimes I'm a little bit too deep for my own good. Um, so you have to just tell me that I'm going a bit deep. Um, but I thought, actually, if, if all of the people around me do not know Christ in eternity, and, and I do, then if I'm standing up for the whole journey and they get the seats, that's not a big deal, is it? Whereas if I'm thinking, hang about, I've got to have the seat. I'm entitled to the seat. I should be sitting down and stuff everyone else. Doesn't make sense, does it? That's one of the things I've been thinking about. Maybe there's other things you'll think about as we're talking about this. But just in terms of the time we're in, it's the end times before Christ is to return. 
And that eternity brings everything else into perspective, doesn't it? For Christians and for non-Christians. And that might be one of the things that you think about as a result of this. And this phrase, uh, making the most of the time, it sounds, sounds a bit lame in our translation, doesn't it? Doesn't fill you with excitement. Uh, but the picture in the original language is of like a, bar- a bargain hunter. Someone who's trying to snap up a deal, redeem time. Almost like time is a, a novelty and it's in short supply. And so you're sort of hunting around for time. Buying up the time. It's got a bit more energy, a bit more life to it, isn't it? What's it look like to make the most of the time? That kind of awareness that this is the moment we've got. Awareness that Jesus could return and will return. As with the next one we're going to look at about speech... Um, first, this is kind of applied to all of life, right? So making the most of the time, buying up the time, is sort of the state that Paul says we should be in all the time, whether we're with outsiders to Christianity, to the gospel or not. Um, so we could ask ourselves these kind of questions. Am I living in the wisdom that comes from knowing Christ as my Lord? Am I sort of walking in that wisdom? with the things that I'm doing, the choices I'm making? That's just a generally quite good question to ask ourselves as Christians. Um, Am I making the best use of the time? Am I bearing fruit in every good work? That's another way of asking it. And that will impact, Paul says, on our interactions with unbelievers. That kind of thinking of the time and making the best use of the time, this spiritual time that we're in, and bearing fruit in every good work, that will impact on our interactions with unbelievers. We'll be ready. You know how when they sort of do the starting piston um, at the start of a, a, a 100 metre sprint? You know, if they haven't got their footing there, they're, they're poised, aren't they? Ready to go. Everything is, is ready. And so when the, the piston goes, they're off. And there's that sort of poisonous about the Christian life. Ready. Expectant, waiting for what God's going to do. It might be helpful to realise that unlike modern times, our modern times, these interactions weren't optional for the believers that Paul's speaking to. You know, we've got our tidy little lives that are separate from one another, haven't we? But in, in Colossae, you know, living, working... Marketplace, constantly, you know, slaves around other people all the time. They don't get a moment to themselves. Um, so Paul doesn't have to sort of say, "I'll be around unbelievers." He just takes that for granted. He assumes that they're always interacting with people who don't know Christ. And Christians today, well, in the West, we're a bit different from the rest of the world. But you know, he's assuming there is interactions going on between. Christians and, and, and unbelievers. You know, in your workplace, in your home, in your, on the street. He doesn't have to say, interact with unbelievers, because that that's going to happen. Uh, Paul has just asked, in the very last verse, in verse 4, and verse 3 in fact, um, that they would pray that God would open to us a word, door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. 
So although there's this all-of-life thing about making the most of the time, there is a specific area that Paul's going to talk about, and it is in bearing witness, isn't it, speaking about Jesus. If, if, he, if he wants the door to be open for the word in Rome, it would be a bit weird for him to not want that for Colossae, where the people he's writing to are. So he is wanting there to be an open door for the word, for people to hear the word of Christ that will save them. So are we bearing fruit in a general way? But are we bearing fruit in the good work of my colleagues, friends, family, hearing the word that will save them? It's a good question to ask for a believer. It's a good question for us to ask each other. I mean, I don't want to be preachy here and say, oh, I'm fine. You know, you don't need to ask me that question. But you you do. You do need to ask me, Rob, how, how are you doing? Are you bearing fruit in the good work of the of my friends, family, colleagues, hearing the word that will save them. Um, But there's another way that goes with that, um, and it's in making the most of our tongue. And this perhaps is slightly something we don't think about, um, and you'll see why. Making the most of the tongue, there you go. And that's the second half. So in verse 6, Paul's not changed his subject at all. But he says this, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Speech that is always gracious at all times. This is an encouragement to practice being gracious in our everyday speech. And we all know that's hard, don't we? Um, And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the grace of God that we have received is going to cause us to be gracious towards others. In what we think towards them, which then comes out in what we say about them. And this is not just uh, what Paul's going to go on to say in terms of uh, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person in terms of their witness to, to unbelievers. It's, it's in all of life. Again, it's taken from the all of life thing to the specific of interactions with unbelievers. So uh, it's, we kind of think, don't we, um, oh, I can curse my wife and shout at my kids and be overbearing towards them and then suddenly I'm going to go out and when I get the opportunity to speak to an unbeliever be really gracious in what I say be really kind and, and thoughtful it's, or even helpful in what I'm going to say it doesn't work that way does it and, and also it doesn't work you know, for me to um, sit in bed trying to get to sleep when my neighbour decides to have a gaming party on the, on the console um, till like 1am in the morning laughing hysterically having a fantastic time um, for me to be sitting there seething and then to think I'm going to be able to be gracious in what I say to him or gracious in the way that I speak to him the next day so that's just something to think about isn't it um, this speech always being gracious and that's something we need each other's help with isn't it um, I know I'm really thankful um, I won't say that I'm automatically thankful for Tom 
Um, but one of the things that I'm thankful for after he's picked me up on my speech is the fact that he notices when I'm saying something cynical or judgmental. Um, you might not think it. You know, I see someone walking past and, oh, you know, they're off to the bookies again or something like that, you know. You know, that's cynical, isn't it? You don't know that. You don't know who they are. You, you know, he's, he's good. He's good. He picks up on it like he's a hawk. He's like, You're, that's cynical. And he's right. And that's really helpful, isn't it? Because it shows that the grace of speech doesn't start really with me sharing the gospel. It starts with my thoughts, my attitudes towards people, towards others. And boy, do we know that we need help with that. Because the things that pass through your head, I mean, he only hears the edited version. (laughs) And he works with me. He sees more of it than anyone else. But, you know, boy, do we need help with that, don't we? We need the grace of God working in our own hearts. That God has loved us, though we were unlovely. God has set his love upon us, even though we were unworthy. That God has redeemed us and bore on himself the sin that we deserved. And then we can think, I can be gracious. I can speak of people in the way that God sees them. And also, I think it will help us when we are provoked. Because we are going to be provoked as Christians. We live in a secular society. People are going to say things. You've got to expect that there's going to be some kind of um, attack of sorts coming your way. And gracious, being gracious in what we say is going to be so, so, so important when that happens, isn't it? Because our knee-jerk is going to be to defend ourselves, to attack back. And we need God's help to be able to respond graciously, particularly when we're provoked. So making the most of our tongue. Uh, for me, this will mean what I allow myself to think about the guy who's playing those computer games who has late night gaming parties or what I say about people or think about people who have never I just don't know that that's the case I'm just assuming the worst being negative, cynical Paul says let this let, you, let these always be gracious coloured by God's grace towards you <laughs> and then the amazing thing about this we'll see in a moment is that you will know how to answer each person you sort of wonder as a Christian oh I wish I could know how to answer each person because there's so many there are opportunities isn't there where we get to say something in response and and for the Colossians it must have been like of course you know they're going to see you're going to be questioned you know why are you doing this it's a bit weird who are you what do you believe all of these kind of things we all wonder how how we can answer people and Paul says that the result of all this will be that we will know in verse 6 how you ought to answer each person it's amazing isn't it that we may know how to answer each person and there's one more thing before we get to that it says let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so you've got the gracious thoughts in terms of how we think our attitudes towards people play out and what we say about them behind closed doors or you know to their face or whatever it is you've also got 
And that's kind of the before the conversation about Jesus, isn't it? That's all stuff that happens before the opportunity to talk about Jesus. And yet this kind of bit is closer to the actual conversation itself. What's that going to look like? And it says seasoned with salt. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Um, who, who likes cooking? Does anyone like cooking here? A couple of people. Oh, well, we've got some lovely snacks afterwards. They're not exactly cooked. But salt makes food fantastic, doesn't it? I mean, where would food be without salt? Well, lots of people are saying that's just British cooking, isn't it? But, you know, um, you know salt really gives flavour. It gives taste. And the salt here is the truth of the gospel. Truth of God's word that will just flavour our conversations. Be tasty. You know, they'll, they'll sense something that's different about what we say and how we say it. Um, and uh, I spoke to Mike about this earlier on in the week because I was sort of wondering about this thing of, you know, is it just saying we should just wait for, wait to answer each person? We just sort of don't say anything as Christians. We just wait and hope that someone's going to ask us a question. And he was really helpful in saying that um, seasoned with salt is aiming at conversations that trigger questions from unbelievers. So that unbelieving friend you've got that you know you're going to be seeing on Tuesday or that family member that you know you're going to be seeing on Thursday or, or the weekend. Um, aiming at conversation, a conversation that will trigger questions is a good starting point. And you can actually ask questions that trigger them to ask questions. So part of seasoning your conversations with salt will be about asking the right questions. Um, so let me give you some examples. Um, in any given conversation with anyone... Ask that person, you know, you know them, so you know them well enough to ask, but you ask them, what, do they, what, what, what is it that they want? What do they think will make them happy? Because they're obviously sharing loads of things that they, in their life that are going on, some of which they think will make them happy and other things they think are going to make them unhappy. And when you ask that question, it, it may just lead to another conversation or a further part of that conversation, which is whether that thing that promotion, that relationship, that experience, actually brought up, heightened their contentment in the past when they got it last time. You know, the relationship they had before the last one, or that promotion last time. They're going for a new position, and they think that will be the thing that makes them happy. But if it didn't make them happy when they got the promotion last time, they might just see, in a gentle way, in a loving way, within the context of that relationship, without judging them, just helping them to see that that might not be the thing that would make them happy. Um, if they are open to it, the gospel speaks into this, doesn't it? Because it says that um, our hearts are restless. Restless longing that we have for affection, for approval, for success. A restless longing that will only be found when we find our rest in God. So the gospel speaks into that longing. And we're not shoehorning the gospel into a conversation, into the conversation, because it was a conversation about their happiness and what will make them happy and content. And if we get that right, then we'll get the opportunity to say, are you sure? Are you sure you're going to find happiness there? 
So that might just be a kind of way in, um, in terms of seasoning with salt. Um, I've, I'll be honest with you, though, I've only had one opportunity since being in Dagenham where I had a friendship with a non-Christian that sort of allowed me up until that point. Sat in that kitchen just through there. They came round for dinner. I only had one opportunity where, they, where I was with friends I'd spent a lot of time with, um, where I was able to say, are your hearts restless? <laughs> because they haven't found their rest in God. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that was over, that's over the last seven, eight, eight years. So um, I'm not saying that these things come around all the time, but certainly over a relationship, um, they will do. That's just one idea. Another thing would be to ask what they think about things. Um, we can talk about people, you know, they can share something that's happening in their lives, but asking them what they think about the, the suffering of the Ukrainians or um, the pandemic or that kind of thing can be really like a basis for a, a deeper conversation with that person, can't it? And then if we're in repeated contact with the, our friends, which we will be, it's good for them to know we're open to chatting about deeper things. Because when they've got a question about something deep, they'll think, yeah, I've got John, he's just likes chatting about football. I've got Bill, yeah, he's always going on about his, his failed marriage. Or I've got, oh, Verona. You know what, Verona had that deep conversation with me last time. Maybe Verona would be the person to ask my question to. And so, what do you know? Who gets the phone call for owner? Because that person knows that you're not afraid of those deeper conversations. Okay, you're not having that deep conversation every time you speak with them. Or so I think, oh no, Verona, I don't want to spend more time with Verona. But, um, you know, the fact that you're willing to go deeper will mean that they'll trust you and they'll be able to ask a question. Um, so that is helpful. And finally then, um, it's not a big window. Um, like that one over there. Um, but we do sometimes get invited to say something, don't we? In conversations, I was at the pub with my family over in East Dulwich yesterday. Um, the topic of conversation was how, we, how frightening it is that time moves so quickly. So all of, all of my aunties and uncles are turning 60 in the next couple of years. They're, they're shocked that I'm 33. And that the people who were babies are now 15. You know, one of the girls was dressed up, you know flaunting it it's like that's so and so you know what she's 15 now and she's just you know looks like an adult um but the topic of conversation was that obviously but it also was how to make the most of the time we have so holidays you know the holiday of a lifetime that was the topic of conversation and uh, although i didn't get the window this time presumably the more time i spent with people they turn to me and they say, yeah, what are you looking forward to your holiday, Rob? And I'd have the opportunity to say something about a holiday. And the way in which I speak about my holiday as a Christian will either be exactly the same, my hope is exactly the same, for this holiday to be the thing because that's all I've got. Or maybe it would sound different. Sound different because actually I'm not holding out for that to be the only thing. I'm holding out for something better. So it's just worth thinking about these topics of conversation. If you had a window of opportunity, someone said to you, you're chatting with your friend, and they said, I'm really worried about the rise in the living costs and all the bills going up. 
Now, what are you as a Christian going to say? Obviously, you're going to say, I'm worried too. You know, that's a bit you agree with, but maybe there's a difference in your response to that worry. Where do you take your worry? Um, and we'll pray about that in the, after, in the bit after this. So they're just some thoughts. Um, seasoned with salt. Aiming at a conversation that provokes or triggers questions. The people are going to come back to you and say, what? Or, um, or ask you more. And if you, they do ask more, then that's an invitation to share more, isn't it? Okay, uh, let's bring it into land. Um, the result is the end of verse 6, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And I don't know about you, but that's a wonderful thought, isn't it? That you may know how to answer your aunt or your, your mum or your, or your colleague at work. or You may know how to answer each person. Because the gracious attitude, thoughts, have been harboured towards that person long before you get in the conversation with them. And then the grace of God that you've received is at work. And then when you do have the opportunity just to say something, the season with salt, speaking honestly about your own experience as a Christian, but it's different. It tastes a bit different from the outside world. And we'll have an opportunity after this just to chat with the person next to you about one or two people um, that you've spoken to and any people you want to pray for. And so I'll do that at the end of the sermon. Um, if you're not a believer and you haven't come to know Christ and his love for you and your need of him, um, well, the fact that Paul uses this word outsider might have made you feel quite uncomfortable, actually. Um, cults, don't they, create this insider-outsider dynamic to spread fear and to keep people in. That's how cults work. Spread fear, keep people in. I hope that as you've been listening to this, you've seen that the Christian life doesn't turn people inward, it turns them outward. It doesn't say stay away from people. It says get, get involved. Um, and I hope you've seen that in the teaching you've heard today and in the lives of the Christians you know. Um, the outsider language is not to spread fear, but is in line with what the Bible teaches about our need for forgiveness. Because if God is holy, and he is, there is going to be an inside-outside with him. There's going to be eternally an inside and outside with him. Because either on the day when we see him face to face, we stand forgiven in Jesus, welcomed in, or we stand condemned and cast out forever. So there is this inside-outside that's coming. And God would be wonderfully kind to tell us that we are on the outside of him. So that we may come in. So that we may come into the grace that he has already borne for us, already um, brought us uh, through the death of his son. What you may have been wanting me to say and listening in for is something you can do to fix that relationship. And these are just some ways to earn our points towards that. And yet Jesus himself tells us that nothing you or I can do can help us. Jesus says, for man this is impossible. Yet all things are possible with God. So why don't you ask him, humbly, to save you, to forgive you, to bring you in to that relationship with him. And let's pray. Father God, we pray for, um, in light of what we've seen today, of your big plan, 
to reconcile all things to yourself. We thank you so much that you're the God who puts things back together. Because you love us, because you created us, because you want relationship with us. Thank you that you're bringing people, as we sang before, broken lives are made new. Thank you that you brought broken people uh, to know you. And uh, thank you that that good news continues on, goes to others. Please help us um, in these areas to, to make progress, that we may know the time we're in and make the best use of it, that we may speak and think graciously whoever we're thinking or speaking about so that when we get into conversations we pray that you would season them with salt that we would ask questions that trigger further questions that people may see that we're willing to go that, 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 that way in the conversation that they may be willing to speak to us pray you'd help us to do that carefully considerately without judgement And we do pray that you would, in all of this, you would help us to know how to answer each person. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.